Good morning. It's, it's good to be here with you and a chance to look at God's Word together. Sorry, let me lift this. Um, as you see in your order, we're in the midst of a, a sermon series uh, around the topic of Sabbath and of rest and joy. And before we look at our passage this morning, which is Isaiah 5, I want to take some time to remember what we talked about uh, last week and then also to kind of set the context for our passage. So last Sunday we started this sermon series about Sabbath and about rest, about joy in the midst of weariness. And Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to rest and to cease. And Scripture says that this practice of intentional rest is meant for our delight and our refreshment. We have different backgrounds, different experiences within the church or with faith. And so the Sabbath, I want to be clear, is not just about fulfilling duties, about things you're supposed to do or not supposed to do, but actually from the very beginning, God is, God is calling us to have times of intimate joy with, with Him and with one another as His people. And so in order to explore this idea of rest and joy, we are looking at the scriptural story and, and kind of looking at rest through the lens of the different parts of the story of Scripture. And last week we looked at the beginning of, of creation. And we saw a couple of things that first God rested on the seventh day of creation. Resting here meant God took pleasure, took delight in what he had made. And he was inviting us as part of his creation to join him, to join in delighting in the good gifts that God gives, the abundance of this world, our very lives, and the fruit of our work or the fruit of our responsibilities. Another thing that we saw was that God blessed the day of rest and made it holy, saying the first thing that God makes holy and sets apart is time, that all of us are people who live in time, and God set it apart a rhythm, six days of work, one day of rest, and this rhythm, God said, was supposed to be a sign, an intentional interruption in our lives to remind us of God's work for us a sign that would remind us in the midst of the busyness of our schedules and rhythms that life, that your life is not ultimately defined by productivity or the never-ending quest for more. These ideas come in the midst of creation. But then the next part of the story is what we want to look at today. In the scriptural story, we have creation and then what's called the fall. The fall is a way of saying that things in our life and in this world are not the way they're supposed to be. Human disobedience of God and God's good word brought separation. Separation for all of us with God, with ourselves, with each other, and with the created world. That this separation marked creation, marked every life, bringing forth burden and weariness, what God calls thorns and thistles, bringing forth even isolation and death. And so we can ask this morning, though, what is the fall? What is this not being the way things are supposed to be because of our disobedience? What does that have to do with rest? <clears throat> well, I want us to hear very clearly as we kind of begin to set the context for our passage that the fall is not just about disobedience. It's not just about breaking God's law. It is that for sure. But behind Adam and Eve's action, behind their disobedience, is a doubting of God's goodness, a doubting of God's provision. 
And maybe here you can relate to how they experienced things. To look within, there is a conviction that I have to look out for myself. I have to grab whatever I can grab. God granted every tree and plant to Adam and Eve except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve doubted the goodness of God, doubted his provision. So in fear, they sought out the fruit that was not blessed, that was not offered to them as a gift. And it's for this reason that disobedience, doubting God's goodness, is always connected to weariness, to disrupting our rest. See, faith is connected to rest. We heard it in the passage that Charlie was reading from Hebrews, that when I entrust myself to God and God's good word and His provision, His care, I am entrusting my life outside of my own resources. Therefore, I find rest. But if I trust simply myself, that I have to look out for myself, that I have self-reliance, then what's the situation? We are left to carry our own things, our own needs, our own hungers, seeking our own provision, that we have to pull the yoke of this work and life on our own. And whenever that is the way that we see life and approach life, it brings a weariness. And our passage this morning from Isaiah 5 sets forth the image of a vineyard. A vineyard. And this image, I want us to know, is the retelling of God's creation and the fall of humanity. God is lavish in His gifts and care in planting this beautiful vineyard, but His people, doubting His provision, seek life apart from Him, seek additional things, bringing forth separation bringing forth poison to the vineyard. And we'll see that one of the ways Israel seeks life and security and control outside of God is through the pursuit of more and more. More land, more production, even if it costs other people. This way of seeking security and provision poisons the vineyard, brings isolation, thorns, and brokenness. So let's look at our passage. This is Isaiah 5, 1 through 10. And it's a chance for us to reflect on the fall and what it has to say about rest and joy in our life. You can follow in your order of worship or in your Bible. Hear now God's word. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it, and he hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste, and it shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. 
And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field until there is no more room. And you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. The Lord of hosts has sworn in my hearing, surely many houses shall be desolate, large and beautiful houses without inhabitant. For ten acres of vineyard shall yield but one bath, and a homer of seed shall yield but an epith. This is God's word, given for our good. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are, and we thank you for your word and how it speaks into the midst of great needs that we are experiencing. For, Lord, we do come as men and women longing to experience rest, longing to feel the, the joy of your provision and care. So, Lord, by your Spirit, Lord, help us to hear your word and respond in faith this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we think about the fall and this kind of lens to consider rest, there's two questions I want to put our sermon around this morning. The first question is to ask you, is rest a virtue? Do we believe? What do you think? Is rest a virtue? While many cultures have a creation story, the Jewish creation story is unique in its discussion an emphasis on rest. One scholar says that the Sabbath, that rest, is the Lord's signature of his artwork. And we can think about this, that rest is not just a good idea, say, you know, for those who earn it, or those who can afford it, or those who can't help it, but it's fundamental to the fabric of our existence and our connection to God and connection to one another. And if we doubt this or wonder if it's a virtue, we can ask and consider, you know, why does God include Sabbath rest in his Ten Commandments? Consider this. It's, it's so important that God holds it up alongside, do not murder, do not steal. Along those ones, he tells us to keep the day holy, to rest. The scriptures set forth rest as a virtue, as a special gift from God to his people. And it's an opportunity at the heart of it to to think about our true identity as God's children in Christ. God says to his people that the Sabbath was to be a sign between him and his people, a sign that affirmed that their lives, their relationship with God, that the provision of the land are gifts. They are gifts, not the result of their hustling. Therefore, Sabbath observance isn't just checking off duties or expectations Rather, it's always been a chance or an opportunity for us to look at the inner life. To stop would mean for you and I to consider, to feel, to reflect. To stop and rest is an opportunity to ask, how do I see myself? Or what do I do with the anxieties within me? It's a question of identity, and the Sabbath is an opportunity for God's people to remember, to remember that we are in God's hands. An opportunity to set aside, at least for a moment, maybe the weariness of self-reliance and the idolatry of our work or productivity. It's a chance to challenge the conclusion or the voice that we hear that I'm on my own. And all that there is is what I can get done. The Sabbath is a meant to interrupt that. And despite God's invitation and commandment to rest, his people resisted that 
numerous times in numerous ways. And, and one example is in the prophet Amos in chapter 8. The prophet confronts the people over their disobedience and not keeping the Sabbath. That even though that many were stopping their labors, it says that they were counting down the minutes and the hours until they could reopen their businesses. Counting down and even thinking about plans about how they could even, you know, grab more profit and maybe even for some cheat those that they could take from. And Amos charges you proudly trust in your own planning rather than resting in God and his provision. And we see a similar type of resistance to rest in Isaiah 5, our passage. Like the creation story, this poem from Isaiah is full of good beginnings. It is, it's a love song. Let me sing for my beloved. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved has a vineyard, and there could be no more promising vineyard. My beloved has carefully selected the land on a fertile hillside, cleared it of stones, planted the best variety of vines, even built a watchtower to ensure safety from enemies and thieves. This love song is to help we're to feel that this vineyard is very good. It is the work of care and love, something to be delighted in. But suddenly there is a change. Did you notice in our passage, the song of love turns to a lament. My beloved expected the vineyard to, re- to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. The love song is interrupted. The fruit is wild grapes, literally stink berries, is what the Hebrew says. Why? What has happened? And as I mentioned, this is a parable or an image that echoes the story of creation and the fall. As with God's good creation, this vineyard has been planted with great care. And as with Adam and Eve who seek life on their own, so the people of the vineyard have sought provision and life apart from their creator. As Adam and Eve's sin brought weariness and separation to creation, so now Israel's actions here bring forth a broken vineyard, wild grapes, things that aren't what God desires. And the love song ceases And we find ourselves in the image of a courtroom. Judge between me and my vineyard, God says. What more was there for me to do for my vineyard? In this courtroom, if we can imagine that image, Isaiah issues the charge. The Lord looked for justice but found bloodshed. Looked for righteousness but found a cry from those suffering. And as evidence... Isaiah puts forth six woes. I only included one woe in our passage. I figure that's all we can handle today. One woe. No. The first woe, these kind of six evidences, these six deaths, saying here's how you've poisoned this vineyard. And the first woe, the first charge is this. You've joined house to house, added field to field, until there is no room for anyone but you. In this courtroom and this charge, we can make many observations about God and about ourselves, but especially through the lens of rest, of Sabbath, it's worth noting that God's first charge is you chase for more and more. There seems to be no limit, no restraint. There's no trust that would be a provision beyond your own grabbing. Rather, you trust in the pursuit of more and more larger houses, 
larger fields. Here the image joining house to house means acquiring land and homes of others to form an estate such that the rich new owner lives alone in the midst of the land. Regardless of our estate, regardless of our finances, our home, we can, we can relate to this idea of chasing, this pursuit, the self-reliance that begins with me, providing for me or my own. We don't want to admit it or acknowledge it, but such chasing means not only neglecting others, but in fact neglecting their existence. It's as if we alone are worth caring about. Others, those whom we have to compete with for resources or opportunities, that's, they become competition, rivals, rather than neighbors with whom we may live, love, and labor together in the vineyard. God is saying the vineyard is broken, it's poisoned, because there is no intentional restraint. No trusting in God's care that will allow us to step out of our self-reliance and all the weariness and separation it brings. So I asked in the beginning, is rest a virtue? How is it that we think about our pursuits? And the second question I want us to ask as we continue to move into this image is why is stopping, why is rest difficult? Why is resting or stopping difficult for us? Maybe you can relate or maybe you've had the experience of even feeling guilty or feeling anxious just to simply sit down, to stop. I want to go back to this courtroom. Imagine this courtroom, you know, why are there wild grapes? Why are these stink berries what's been yielded? And maybe we can imagine the, the question comes up, but what about outside forces? You know, remember the watchtower that, that God built in his vineyard? There's plenty of enemies, especially the, the Assyrians of that day, who excelled at destroying and making life difficult for their neighbors. Maybe their pressure, their presence is what has filled the air in such a way that the vineyard has been messed up, that Israel has lost its way. And in the same way, maybe as we ask this question, why is it difficult to rest, we can think of all the cultural barriers around us, the things that fill the air in our lives that tell us that rest is not something that's virtuous. We can think that there's no real rhythm of work and life for many of us. I saw there's one person who writing an article about work says it's not the lack of time, but rather it's formlessness that is troubling for many. We all have different experiences, but for many of us, work has no set boundaries. And with our devices or access, we can work or fulfill our responsibilities anywhere, anytime, at the dinner table, at the stoplight, on vacation. Not only is there a lack of rhythm of work and life, but there is overwhelming pressure to be productive. I imagine that all of us in some ways feel this. Asked to work with greater efficiency, produce less waste, be more available and focused, know how to handle whatever comes your way, meet higher expectations with better service. Whether at home or at work, it seems like we're always being asked for more, to handle something more. The other day I was in the mattress store and I saw a poster that I think even speaks to this reality. 
It was a poster telling us about Sleep Awareness Week. Sleep Awareness Week. So in our busy, stressed culture, that we know that even sleeping at times is difficult. And I noticed the poster because it had all sorts of handy things for us to do. Turn off electronics, stick to a regular schedule, avoid drinking caffeine late in the day, leave a couple hours between dinner and bed, create a bedtime ritual, stretching or deep breathing. It also even had the National Sleep Foundation's recommendations for the color of your walls in your bedroom. If you're wondering, cool colors like blues and greens and neutrals, it says. But also it says, put a piece of paper next to your bed. I've done this. And write down the worries or tasks as they come to mind. And on the poster it says, put your troubles aside and drift away. What a great promise, right? Put your troubles aside and drift away. I, I read the poster, and I imagine maybe you might wonder too, how do I find rest Sleep in the midst of all the things being asked of me. We live in a setting where rest is not valued. If it is talked about, it's often talked about simply to make sure that you don't burn out or that you're ready to be productive again soon. And those who consistently rest or carve out time may be perceived as lazy or entitled. That It must be nice that you can do that. And we can affirm that our culture, the surrounding forces, the air that we breathe, doesn't value rest or interruptions. But Isaiah wants us in that courtroom to ask, what about our own hearts? Why is it hard for me to stop and to rest? The Assyrians were evil. Everyone agreed with that. But Isaiah's poem was meant to confront Israel. That God wants his people to look at themselves. Don't blame the Assyrians for a life that has gone sour, God insists. And so even though that we have this air around us, it's worth us asking the question, why is it hard for you, for me, to rest? I think this has been a little better lately, but I can remember especially early in my marriage with my wife Jody that Often my days off were the hardest days. (laughs) Maybe you've had experience like this, but the days in which we had some time in front of us or less commands upon us, that I began to be restless. I don't want to waste this time. What should we do? How should we make the most of it? And that approach, that attitude that still is present in my heart at times brings all sorts of frustrations and difficulties, fights and arguments. Maybe you've had that experience of feeling anxious or guilty to sit, like I said, sit down or to have a day in front of you to ask, what would I like to do? The question of rest isn't simply about practices, but it explores our hearts. But what's happening inside of us, that God is always interested not just fulfilling duties, but to explore who we are and how it is that we are seeking to be settled. And when we consider rest, maybe we feel fear. If I stop and I'm quiet, then I'll have to feel things. I will have to face the anger that I have towards my spouse or family or others, my disappointment, my uncertainties. You see, after the fall, Adam and Eve, they hide. If you know the story, they are on the move from God because they don't want to be seen, to have to acknowledge what has happened in them. And to stop and to be still with God or others can leave us feeling exposed. When we consider rest, maybe we feel guilt 
or shame. Shame for not completing enough in our family, in our work setting, feeling that we're weak, that we should be able to handle these things. What will my peers or coworkers think if I'm not always getting something done? If we consider rest, maybe we will feel the hurt that we have, that many of us have had the experience of being on our own, of not having someone who's caring for us. And so that voice of saying, you have to take care of yourself, seems always present and true. And we consider rest, maybe we see our pride. The thought that even ceasing our work, things will fall apart. That we have a sense of importance, that I, I can't let someone else beat me, or what will happen if I don't take care of this right now. The sense that I'm at the being at the center of things. Or when our rest, maybe we feel anxiety and anxious, longing for security. We are people of endless possibilities, all sorts of potential, but we are also utterly creatures that are dependent and limited. And the question that looms over many of us, am I doing enough? Enough to be healthy, enough to be financially sound, enough to face the unexpected difficulties that will come my way, enough to get into the school that's the right school, enough to make the team, enough to make sure that my kids are successful. And I would assume this morning, regardless of our age, I imagine many of us have felt the conclusion that my life, that who I am, my worth or my future rests on my performance, on my productivity. Who has time to rest? Behind Adam and Eve's actions, behind Israel's searching for more and more is the doubting of God's goodness and God's provision. There's the conviction that I'm on my own. And we all, in different ways, seek to grab a sense of control in our lives, or control over what threatens us or those that we love, or control over some sense of order. And here's the answer that America gives to us. If you want to have a sense of control, then work. Work. Take care of your stuff. Work hard. But I want us to hear this morning in the midst of the fall that Christianity offers you a different word. Christianity offers a different word. Not work, but grace. Undeserved gift in Christ, a story that at the heart is the faithfulness of a gracious and loving God. A God who sees you completely, knows all of who you are, your good and your brokenness, and that Jesus who comes, who dies for the ungodly, who comes for sinners. Think of God's first word to fallen humanity. God does not wait for Adam and Eve to come and find him, to start looking for him, that God goes looking and asks the question, where are you, Adam? Adam, where are you? God's questions are a path to life. And if we're serious about finding rest, if we're serious about thinking about Sabbath, then we have to ask, why is rest difficult for us? What happens in you? Adam, where are you? Where are you hiding? Where are you seeking provision? What are you avoiding? Last week, if you were here, I encouraged on this journey of thinking about rest and joy and weariness to ask, what could it look like in your life? All of our situations are different. What would it look like in your life 
to begin to celebrate intentional times of being with God or with God's people or being in God's creation, fellowship, in times of ceasing, of putting away a phone or email, putting away responsibilities in the home, resting. And today I want to put before you the question of, do I believe rest is a virtue? And the question of, why is rest hard for me? Sabbath is not about a new mastery. I did or didn't do what I was supposed to do today. But rather it is about enjoying and knowing the grace of God for you. That who you are rests not in your work or your hustling, but rests in God's work for you. And that your life rests in the grace of Christ, who invites you to come and know his yoke that is easy and light. Sabbath is an opportunity for us to be interrupted, the voices to be changed. Instead of saying, I'm on my own, what will I have to do today? But rather to hear the Christ, that we are in the hands of God, and that we are not our own. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are. And I thank you, Lord, that you speak into our needs and into our hearts. Lord, I thank you for the good news that rest is not simply a list of things to accomplish, one more thing that we have to take care of, but actually an invitation to rest in you, the one who sees us fully but loves us completely to the end. We give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen.